This podcast is sponsored by 10 of those. If you're at the recent T4G conference, you probably went to the bookstore. It was run by 10 They want to serve the local church by bringing the best books from across the publishers at super low prices to conferences and churches across America. So if you're involved in running a conference or perhaps you have a women's retreat coming up or a church anniversary weekend, invite 10 to provide a pop-up bookstore. There is no charge for them to come. They'll recommend resources and serve you really well, taking care of all the stock, the cash register, sales tax, etc. And they come for conferences and churches of 300 people or more. They can also help you if you're doing things online. They can provide you with a customized online bookstore for your church, and there's no charge for that either. Email their team to get your bookstore set up. That's sales.us at 10 Sales.us at 10 Baptist 21 is a pastor-led voice for Southern Baptists in the 21st century. The B21 podcast will discuss current issues in the SBC with Southern Baptist church leaders. To check out more resources, visit us at baptist21.com. Welcome to the Baptist 21 podcast, where we have conversations about what it means to be Baptist in the 21st century. And we're coming to you today with a special podcast this week, a second interview with the SBC Sexual Abuse Task Force. Today, we'll have with us, again, Marshall Blaylock from last week, but also uh, new to the podcast, Andrew A. Bear, who's also one of the members of that task force. And we want to discuss just some updates they're making to the recommendations, kind of where things stand now, as well as have them respond uh, to the tweet put out by Guidepost uh, celebrating uh, what is being called Pride Month. Certainly want to hear their response to uh, guidepost affirming what is clearly uh, sinful and against God's design for sexuality. And so want to talk through those questions. So that's what you'll hear today on the podcast. As an update, our plan was for our initial and our regular podcast this week to be uh, the leaders of B21 talking about their preview of the SBC. Uh, we will actually now, in, given uh, the changes to the recommendations and wanting to do this podcast and hear from the task force members, we will do that podcast and record it tomorrow with the hopes of it uh, being posted tomorrow evening. And so the plan as of now is for uh, Jed Coppinger, Ronnie Parrott, and myself, Nate Aiken, to uh, do our B, our annual B21 uh, SBC preview and to do that tomorrow. But I thought it was important to hear from the task force, again, given the updates. And so that's what you'll hear from, that's who you'll hear from today. Uh, at, one more note before we jump into the interview. Also want you to know there are still some spots available at our B21 panel this year that'll be uh, the, the morning that the SBC starts, so Tuesday morning, next week, 6.45 a.m. to 8 a.m., uh, there are still some seats available, so sign up today. Uh, you can find that on our social media account at also baptist21.com. We very much appreciate you listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. Today, we are having a second conversation with members of the task force. We have, again, Pastor Marshall Blaylock, First Baptist Charleston, and then first-time guest, uh, Pastor Andrew Abair, Paramount Baptist in Amarillo, Texas. Uh, first time guest. Andrew, I do think we're planning to have you on in, in the summer at some point to talk about a book you're working on. Uh, but glad to have you on today to talk about the Sexual Abuse Task Force. Long time listener, first time guest. It's good to be here, Nate. First time caller. Love it. Uh, well, glad to have you, brothers. Thankful for your work. Uh, there's uh, some things have obviously changed, Marshall, since you and Bruce and I talked about a week ago, including there was a, a, a pride tweet put out by Guidepost. There's going to be some adjustments to uh, some updates to the recommendations. Uh, and so this will be a much shorter interview, but I just want to jump into those questions. And so 
yeah, let me start there. Where do, where do things stand now? What are the updates to the recommendations and why make those updates? Yeah, so I'll, I'll jump in here on that and, and just start by saying, you know, it was the goal and, and hope of our task force that we would be um, very transparent throughout the last year and very responsive um, to the concerns of Southern Baptists. So that's, that's been our, our MO over the last year. We've, we've put a lot of stuff on our um, website and social media and so forth. We've just tried transparency and, and being responsive. Those have been kind of two values for us. And so after we released our recommendations that we plan to bring to the SBC, we got a lot of feedback from every corner of uh, our Southern Baptist families, you can imagine. And, and there were a lot of really good questions, really helpful feedback, input, some concerns that were expressed as well. And they kind of all grouped under two headings, um, some concerns about funding. You know, how are we going to pay for this? Where's the money going to come from? And then some concerns about polity. And so how does a ministry check website, for instance, um, uh, you know, essentially a database of uh, convicted or credibly accused abusers, how does that work within Southern Baptist uh, polity? And so we have been working, I mean, nearly round the clock um, since we've released those recommendations to try to listen well, um, to work together as a task force, and then to come up with some creative solutions so that what we actually bring on the floor in Anaheim uh, will be something that's amenable and palatable um, to Southern Baptists. And so we are uh, releasing some strengthened, revised recommendations uh, based on all the feedback we've heard. We've taken that in. We've tried to, to strengthen this, and we're going to be releasing that. Um, so basically, if I can talk about kind of three of the major changes. One, um, the, the, the first kind of uh, release of our recommendations, we we said that you know, if a church was unable to pay for a third-party investigation, let's say a church had a case of abuse happen and they wanted to bring in a third party to investigate and they weren't able to afford it, we put in there that the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee would pay for it. And that kind of came off as sort of a blank check. And it drew a lot of questions, you know, how many investigations will, will there be? How can we afford to pay for all of this? And so in the revised recommendation, we're changing that and we're changing it basically to a, a grant-based system where the SBC sets a budget every year. Um, it approves a certain amount that can be used for investigations. If a, if a local church has a case of abuse, they want to bring in a third party and they can't afford it, then they can apply for gr a grant to help them cover those costs. Now that's limited, right? Because everybody has to live within a budget. Um, but but that I think that addresses that concern. The, in terms of where that money comes from, is it cooperative program or what have you? I'll let Marshall speak to that here in just a second. But the grant-based um, approach to that, that's one major change. A second major change um, has to do with a third-party investigation. So, so how does somebody get on the ministry check website, right, this online database? Well, there, there are a few different ways that that can happen. First of all, if someone has a criminal conviction, then they can be put on that database. If someone has a civil judgment um, rendered on a matter of abuse, they can be put on, on the database. If someone has confessed in a non-privileged setting, they can be put on the database. And then the fourth way that they can be put on is if they are credibly accused. And there's been a lot of conversation about what does credibly accused mean? Who gets to decide that? So here's how that works. A, a third party investigative firm essentially comes and does an investigation of what has happened. And they determine by a preponderance of the evidence that someone is credibly accused or not. Um, now, our first, our first release of recommendations had the feel 
um, I think this is the way it's not though, certainly not the way we intended it to come across, but it's the way a lot of people heard it and received it. And so we want to, we want to shore this up, but it had the feel of almost a top down kind of approach like Nashville would be investigating, you know, churches and, and that kind of thing. That's really not what we're, we're hoping to do. And so we've made that language more clear that this is voluntary and it is church initiated. In other words, if a case of abuse happens at a local church level, a local church can initiate a third party investigation. And then the church can submit the name of that individual. If he, in, he or she is indeed credibly accused, they can submit that name to the ministry check uh, website. So this is more church centric. It is initiated by the church. It's not forced on the church. It's voluntary, not mandatory. And, and so I think that that works better within our polity. Now, that brings me to the third kind of major change that we've made. And, and I, think, I think some people may have this question, well, what if a church won't investigate? You know, what if a church refuses to look into a matter of abuse? Or what if, even worse, what if a church tries to cover it up or mishandles it? Well, then what, what recourse would a, a, an abuse survivor have at that point? Well, we, we put into recommendation number one some language that makes it really clear that if a church is not cooperating with an inquiry or, or an investigation of sex abuse, right? If there's some wrongdoing here, there's cover up or mishandling, a survivor can then report that church to the credentials committee. And this could be, depending on the circumstances, grounds for a recommendation for disfellowshipping that church. Now, that's perfectly within our structure. In fact, Article 3 of the SBC Constitution states that one of the standards for a church to be in friendly cooperation with our convention is that they abide by SBC policy on sex abuse. What we're doing here is actually giving a little further definition and detail to what that means. It means that if a church uh, is, is trying to cover up something or they're just not cooperating with trying to get to the truth of what happened and a survivor is getting hurt in the process, this very well may be, after an assessment and an investigation by the Credentials Committee, it may be grounds for a recommendation of disfellowshipping them from the Southern Baptist Convention. So those are the kind of the three major changes. Yeah, Marshall, anything you would add to that? Yeah, and it's, it's church-centric, trying to help churches. Even when the Credentials Committee is involved, it's still trying to help the church do the right thing. That's the, that's the plan. And technically, what we would be done by the Credentials Committee is an inquiry, not an investigation, because... Constitution doesn't give them investigative power, but nonetheless, it would be, it's, it's to help churches get it right. That's the goal to make it church centric. So it was a, a big shift in, in the way the language was written, although it was a hard on one. The a big, I'm going to just couple of follow-up questions there. And, and uh, Andrew, you mentioned Marshall talking to this one, you know, one of the sticking points had been concern about CP money and, and how that would affect missionaries and so forth. Um, it, it, you guys have have an updated plan. Marshall, can you speak to kind of where the money for those grants would come from and how it's now at this point seems like it's not going to affect CP, uh, at least at this juncture is not going to affect CP giving. When we first came out with the recommendations, we've been talking to the executive committee because we knew it was going to cost something to do all these, to get things started. And there was no other place to go to ask them what to do. And, and, uh, so they came up with a plan, but it was universally questioned is why do we want to do use overage that would normally go to the mission field and mission boards and to redirect it in a way like this. And so the amazing thing is that as part of this conversation, we had conversation with the executive committee and with the leadership there and with the other entity heads and send relief combination of the North American mission board and the international mission board president there is Bryant Wright. And they said, you know, this is something that we believe actually is the kind of ministry we want to help. 
to help survivors, help churches do the right thing here. And so they have volunteered to fund the first year to help get this off the ground, to help churches uh, deal rightly with and minister well to survivors of sexual abuse. And so it's not one, there's no cooperative program dollars there. It's undesignated funds, none of it from Annie Armstrong, none of it from Lottie Moon. So, and they're even inviting churches that would like to, to give to this to help, help uh, make up the difference. So that's, that's the plan now. And it's coming out later today, I think. And uh, so uh, we're, we're very grateful that our two mission agencies sort of stepped in and say, let us help get this without affecting the cooperative program. And uh, so it's a big win, I think. And it shows the support that they have for a project like this to help churches help survivors and prevent sex abuse. Yeah, that's encouraging. Even though I do think it's a little bit lamentable that we would say that this is a distraction from mission in the sense of we can't give money to this because it would keep us from giving money to the mission. This is part of who we're called to be. So that could be a conversation uh, for another day. And that has been a conversation. Um, and I know you guys have spoken to that, um, spoken to that well. Uh, a quick question on the new kind of updated. I know one of the questions that was asked, Andrew, you asked Rachel, and I'll just say this up front. We have posted or tweeted out at Baptist 21 an interview between Andrew Bear and Rachel Den Hollander. Uh, he talks about a lot of these legality issues and also an, an article in Baptist Press by Matt Martins. We'd recommend looking at those. We don't want to rehash those. One of the things that you brought up was an appeals process, thinking a lot of the conversation, particularly like we look at biblical, the Pentateuch and things like that rights for the victim, rights for the accused. Is there going to be some kind of appeals process? Is that going to be part of what's going to be investigated in this next year for somebody might be going on that? Andrew, maybe I'll direct that that question to you. Yeah. So the ministry check website is actually going to be administered by a third party. And so there's an administrator to that website. And and just because a church down the road, you know, decides to submit the name of, of someone, even, even after, you know, a, a third party investigation, the administrator of the ministry check website is still going to be reviewing all of the materials to see if this basically meets the standard of credibly accused. So there, there are multiple layers here that a, a, an accusation would have to, to reach to end up on that website. And there would be an appeals process. So, right. Due process is important for everyone. It's as important for the accused as the accuser. Everybody wants a credible process. And that's the whole reason for bringing in a third party because there are ethical standards, legal standards that they have to meet. Um, so that you're not just having names that are, are put out there, or false accusations or that kind of thing. If there is someone who feels like they've been unjustly put on the on the list, there would be an appeals process. Yeah, and you talked about in that interview with Rachel, licensing and other things that go into that. Um, Marshall, let me maybe direct this to you, and you can speak to any of those past questions, but uh, kind of what's what's next? At least from what I understand, this this will be uh, have to be picked up by the executive committee. They're going to have to rescind some things they've done. Can you speak to is in the processes of what we're doing? What are the next things that have to happen given your updates to the recommendation? This podcast is sponsored by 10 of those. If you're at the recent T4G conference, you probably went to the bookstore. It was run by 10 of those.com. 
They want to serve the local church by bringing the best books from across the publishers at super low prices to conferences and churches across America. So if you're involved in running a conference or perhaps you have a women's retreat coming up or a church anniversary weekend, invite 10 to provide a pop-up bookstore. There is no charge for them to come. They'll recommend resources and serve you really well, taking care of all the stock, the cash register, sales tax, etc. And they come for conferences and churches of 300 people or more. They can also help you if you're doing things online. They can provide you with a customized online bookstore for your church, and there's no charge for that either. Email their team to get your bookstore set up. That's sales.us at 10 Sales.us at 10 Okay, so the executive committee met they, today is Wednesday. So they met Wednesday morning with their finance committee, and they're preparing a motion to go to their meeting on Monday before the convention begins to rescind the funding request they, they had already published and to adopt the plan that the sin relief uh, folks have have suggested. So that'll come all on Monday. We're, we're, we're going to have them. They'll be making that announcement. Uh, on Wednesday afternoon about the change. So there, everybody's on board. It was, it's been one of those things where everybody wants to get something done and we were trying to look at the right way of doing it. And it took a while, uh, but we had all the entity heads. We had, we had the executive committee, we had the mission boards all saying, let's find a way to make this work. That is the best way. And it's amazing. I've never been in a spot where I could see it up front like I did in this one, but seeing those, those uh, leaders work together to, to see this happen and to come together to support helping churches deal with sexual abuse, helping survivors. That was an amazing, beautiful, mm. it wasn't simple. It's like making sausage, but it was in the end, you could see the, the, the grace of God and mercy of God working in their lives and to make this happen. It's been a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. We don't make anything simple in the, in the SBC. Um, <laughs> I'll just get to maybe then a final question. You guys have answered a lot of the follow-ups just in your answers, but okay. So guidepost, the, the, the people who did the report, uh, the, the firm that did the report, uh, they put out a pride tweet. Uh, we say pride tweet, but basically a tweet that celebrates what we know the Bible to say is clearly sinful uh, and opposed to God's good design for sexuality. This certainly caused an uproar um, in, well, mostly SBC Twitter, um, which has uproars all the time. But why did you guys choose Guidepost? Uh, and what are kind of your responses to the responses so far? Uh, I may ask some follow-ups on that, but I think that's a, an important question that people are, people are asking. Marshall, you want me to answer the why we chose them? And maybe you can sure. talk about what's happened since then. Yeah. So, you know, we, we put out a, a, um, a request for proposals um, back in the fall where we essentially said, look, here's the investigation that has to happen. Here's the scope of it. And we're open. Uh, we, we want proposals for this. And so we had a few of those that were submitted to us. We, we met uh, with them, uh, you know, evaluated those proposals. And a, and a big issue was, you know, this is an investigation, the scope of which covers 20 years, you know, the guidepost ended up reviewing over five terabytes of information. And there are not a lot of firms that can handle that. And so, frankly, there just weren't a lot of firms who could do this. Um, there were a couple who could. And so we considered those very seriously. Guidepost just quickly rose to the top um, because they were, had a, a reputation um, for doing these kinds of investigations thoroughly and with excellence. Um, 
we weren't evaluating them on the basis necessarily of theological agreement, although we did want a, a, a company that could work within, uh, you know, who, who understood who we were, uh, who could work with Southern Baptists, that kind of thing. That mattered to us. And we actually were really impressed because they, out of this huge global firm, the investigators that they assigned to us um, were believers. Um, in fact, some of them were Southern Baptists. Some of them had grown up in Southern Baptist churches. One of them had graduated from a Southern Baptist seminary. They knew who we were and they cared about the Southern Baptist Convention. We were really impressed that they were willing um, to actually go and find the right kind of people to, to do this. We were also really impressed with their, their track record. They have worked with other denominations, faith-based groups, universities. Uh, they've worked with the Justice Department because of their reputation for doing their work uh, with excellence. Obviously, we don't agree with their tweet. Obviously, it was the worst timing. Everybody knows that. But we were pleased with the work that they did. We think that the report is credible. Um, we are satisfied with the way in which they interacted with us and with Southern Baptists. Um, and it's just unfortunate that, you know, that that tweet came out and we, we disavow it. Yeah. It's about as good as the answer you're going to get that. that was, we chose them for that reason. They did a good job. They respected our faith and they had p Christian people helping us in this investigation. And so we don't, we don't want the tweet to ruin what's already been accomplished so far. And again, as Andrew said, there weren't other choices that could actually do what we asked them to do. So um, we're grateful that they were there and we're thankful for what they did. Going forward, it's gonna be very difficult for us. And we're not, after Tuesday, we're not in charge of any of this stuff, but um, it's going forward to be hard for us to recommend uh, them in the future under the circumstances that we have. Marshall, could you speak a little bit to your, you put out a, a Twitter thread about this, that if you're uh, on, on social media, Blaylock uh, Marshall, so B-L-A-L-O-C-K-M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L -L -L on Twitter, uh, talking about this. I mean, I think part of the, the conversation needs to be, uh, don't let this be a smokescreen to whether what they found was wrong and sinful and needs to be addressed, and whether the recommendations brought by the task force, our people, not the guidepost, uh, recommendations are a way to address both what has happened that's heinous, but also to protect and to heal moving forward, to have better processes in place moving forward. So I think part of what we need to have a conversation about is do these measures stand or fall on their own? Uh, I think that's an important conversation, but you spoke a little bit about not making this a smokescreen. I'd love for you to unpack that just a tiny bit. If my concern was that people might see the tweet from guidepost and say, well, the whole thing's a conspiracy that's, uh, that's trying to, to make the Southern Baptist Convention go the wrong direction. And if someone was really looking for a reason to dismiss the report of the task force, that would be a good way to, I mean, you could find a reason if you really want to, but we don't believe that their tweet on Monday affects the nature of the report at all, and certainly doesn't doesn't affect our recommendations. We spent more time with Southern Baptist leaders and pastors and others from across the convention in the last week than we spent the whole time we worked with Guidepost. I can tell you that we we had very little interaction with them outside of the first meeting, and we tried to um, have input from them on what they were going to do, and then we got the report at the end. Other than that, we didn't spend time with it. We spent time with our Baptist people, so our report's going to come 
from what we believe the Lord wants us to do and what we were asked to do and what we believe is scripturally right to do. Um, so that's the point. And we didn't want that to distract. I also think that the devil really doesn't want Southern Baptists to get this right. The devil wants us to go to Anaheim and have a inner Nicene fight. And he wants us to call each other names, say, say things that are false about us to one another and to each other. And um, I don't, I really don't have an explanation for why they put out a tweet on Monday, but the timing of all that, I'm sorry. I still believe in spiritual evil. I think there is such a thing. And I think that was uh, to get us off the track on this. And so some, sometimes we think the enemies are the people that don't think like us in the room. The real enemy, Bible says, is principalities and powers in this world that are trying to destroy the kingdom and destroy us. And I don't want that to happen. Um, so we're praying that the Lord would give us the humility uh, and the grace to the world. I said in their tweet, the world's got pride month. It's time for Baptists to have humble, contrite, repent of sin month. Yeah, we, we need to we need to deal with this and we need to ask based upon what has been revealed, whether it was true and whether it was wrong and whether what we've what you guys are recommending is a helpful start to, to moving forward. Uh, and, and it was interesting, given what you said, Pastor Marshall, I was talking to a pastor today I very much respect who brought up two things. He said, uh, it's interesting, the wording you use, he said, this is a clear example of spiritual warfare. No matter how you fall down on, you know, on this side of the, the arguments, that that came out when it did uh, is, is certainly an evidence of, of spiritual warfare and that uh, there's a distraction here. Uh, and then also, I mean, on a positive side, just the beauty of the Bible uh, that has that's written more than 2000 years ago, parts of the Pentateuch that still has application for today for how we handle both rights for victims and rights for the accused. Uh, it's, I mean, it just shows the testimony of how true and good yeah. what the Lord has revealed to us in his word is. Um, brothers, one last quick question. I know you guys uh, certainly have other meetings to go to. And maybe I'm just misunderstanding on the credentials committee when they do a third party investigation, will they be hiring a firm for that? Will that be separate people based upon the local church that they're appealing? Like if, the, if they appeal for a grant, will they just let the church choose the third party? Does that question make sense? Like who if the credentials committee is going to have an official partnership, who will that be? And I'm assuming, given what you said, Marshall, guideposts may not even be in the conversation for that at this point. Does that question make sense? I mean, Maybe that was a little bit confusing. Does that question make sense? It makes sense, yes. Um, so the inquiries would be church-initiated. If a church just does not want to cooperate, then the credentials committee would have to decide at what level they want to engage that church and how to help them. The goal would be to help them to look into whatever claims are being made. Mm -hmm. uh, but the credentials committee could, under our recommendation, conduct an inquiry, uh, inquiry of some kind to, to determine on the, the facts of the, of the case using an independent firm. Again, we're not, we don't have control over who that firm would be, but it would be whoever the credentials committee chooses. Uh, but they would have the access to a fact-finding firm to give them the facts. And the credentials committee would make the decision about what should be done or not done at that point. Brothers, any final thoughts? I'll let you guys go. Uh, obviously, there's the EC will deal with some of this both at the end of this week and then early next. And then Tuesday afternoon, we'll we'll hear from you guys. 
any final encouragement to Southern Baptists over the next few days? Nate, my final thought would be just to, to remember that we're a great commission people. And part of the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations, but it's also to teach them everything that I've commanded you. And so uh, part of what Jesus has commanded is to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, we are called to care for people, to show the love of Christ. And so this is very much at the center of our mission. Good. And to add to that, Andrew gave, gave you the, the biblical perspective we want to have. And I want to give you a word about the recommendations themselves. They're designed to help churches. We talk a lot about the Credentials Committee. But the goal is to help churches do the right thing. Our job is to resource churches. And part of these recommendations include resourcing churches and state conventions and associations all across the way to help prevent sex abuse. And if we could get some of those practices and policies in place across the land, there'd be a lot fewer cases of this. And we want to help minister to survivors. So part of our recommendation gives survivors a place to go where they're heard, understood, and um, helped in the process. And then we want to empower churches to do the right thing. That's the goal here. Yep. One of the things that's clear in this whole process, and which is why the work you guys have put, put yourselves to is really difficult, is that our polity is unlike any other group that that have had these unfortunate, heinous things happen among them. Uh, it is a testimony to one, the complication, but also kind of who we are uh, so I appreciate y'all trying to work hard to 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 put it to where we're trying to make local churches be equipped. Uh, in some sense, if local churches had handled these things the way they were supposed to, we would not have to have even gotten to this point. But it, we are trying to unravel a pretty complicated system when it comes to something like this, because we're bottom up, not top down. Let me have one more controversial piece, just for fun. They're going to put a little controversy in it, right? I've heard some, I've, I should I say, I've read some on Twitter who's saying, why are we doing this? This is a local church issue. This is a local church issue. And we would say that is true. But since it's been a local church issue and local churches have handled it poorly in some measure over a course of time, why can't we help lo local churches do this better? And that's our goal. It really is our goal. So we believe it's a local church issue, but we got to help the local church get it right. Which is honestly, it is not in not it is in keeping with our polity. We seminaries yeah. help local churches train men and women for ministry. You know, mission boards help send Southern Baptist people from local churches to the international mission field and so forth. And I mean, and this is just the sadness of the whole situation. What Guidestones report has revealed is that there has been people there have been people who have come to the executive committee to say. Here's some ways you can get out in front of this and do like and honestly put things in place that are going to protect and proactively care for. And they were they were denied. And so that's why it's come to our doorstep. And that's why we have to deal with it. Uh, it's certainly we want local church. I mean, as, as Baptist 21, we believe in regenerate church membership and congregational church discipline. We want those things to mark our churches in a healthy way. Amen. This is a way to equip people to do that. Uh, brothers, I will pray for God's blessing. I know y'all have many more meetings even today and then obviously next week, uh, but we are thankful. I know y'all have given up a lot of your time to be involved in this work. And so just know we're thankful for you, praying for um, certainly light to shine uh, next week uh, and for the Lord to show us favor in, in, in dealing with this in a discerning way. Uh, brothers, thank you guys so much. And also thank you for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. Thank you for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at our website, baptist21.com. 
Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. It would really help us out. If you ever have thoughts or ideas for future interviews, please reach out to us at our email, babbis21 at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast.